Hey there New Vine, I hope you are doing well today. Hey, if we've not met, my name is Isaac and I have the privilege of sharing with you today as we continue with our series, A Good Kind of Different. Uh, we're currently working through the book of 1 Corinthians. Luke kicked our series off uh, two weeks ago. Last week we had uh, AJ share with us on how it is we deal with divisions. Um, both of those messages were great, so I really encourage you, if you missed them, jump on our website and you can re-listen it to those. Um, today we are jumping into chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, where we see Paul speak into the importance of wisdom. Um, not earthly wisdom, but rather the power of God. In verse 10, Paul describes as the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Um, but before we get into this, I do just want to give you a quick uh, snapshot, a little bit of context for this letter, a little bit of background of the church in Corinth, just in case you've missed the past two weeks. So this letter we see Paul writing to a church that he was instrumental in seeing form. Paul spent about a year and a half in the city of Corinth sharing the gospel. He saw a bunch of people accept Jesus as their saviour and from that a church was born. Um, Corinth itself uh, was one of the sort of dominant commercial hubs of the Mediterranean. It was quite a diverse culture. Um, it had somewhat of a transient or at the very least a touristy-like population. Um, as was common at the time, there were dozens of temples built in honour of the Greek gods, and most notably in Corinth um, was the temple of Aphrodite, the god of love. And in the coming chapters, uh, we see Paul address a whole bunch of stuff in and around sexual immorality, and a lot of this stems uh, from the cultural worship of Aphrodite's um, temple prostitution was incredibly common and so widely known um, the sexual immorality of Corinth became that the Greek verb to Corinthianize literally came to mean to practice sexual immorality. And sadly, the reputation of the city uh, just caused it to become all the more popular in its day. So Paul here is writing to a church that he loves deeply. Uh, he's writing to a whole bunch of people, many whom he will have known personally, um, many who he would have had the privilege of seeing except Jesus. Um, yet they are in a culture, immersed in a culture that is at odds with the life Christ desires them to live. A church who sadly are still gripped by their culture and it would seem are moving away from the things of Christ and again engaging themselves in the immorality surrounding them. So one of the first things that I want us to, uh, to understand as we read this this morning is the heartbreak that Paul must be feeling as he writes this. I mean, I can understand why you may read some of the epistles, some of Paul's letters, and question his pastoral care tactics. He's a bit rough around the edges, he's belligerent. He often comes across as quite arrogant. I have said on numerous occasions that I would not have been friends with Paul. Um, but that aside, 
I want you to imagine, put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment, that you have journeyed with a group of people. You've seen them accept Jesus. You've seen the Holy Spirit begin to shape them and change their desires. And all of a sudden you get this letter that says, everyone's going back to the way it was. Everyone's leaving this behind. But not only that, Paul also in this letter hears that there are people in this church who are using the freedom they've found in Christ uh, as an excuse to act however they want. Saying, hey, Paul, Paul said we're free. Paul said grace is free. So we can follow Jesus and engage in whatever cultural immorality we want because we've got freedom. That would be a really hard letter to receive. And Paul gives us a great lesson just in how the first couple of chapters of Corinthians unfold. He doesn't just jump in and wrap this church over the knuckles, but instead, in chapter 1, he reminds them of what unites them. He reminds them the family that they have been adopted into. And what that means reminds them that they are children of God. And then in chapter 2 here, he just sort of nudges them back to Christ. He says, hey, forget the wisdom of the world. Forget what it is the world pursues. Just go to God. Go to God. Allow him to be your compass. And before he speaks into their actions, he just pushes them back to Jesus. So maybe for us today, that is our first challenge. Is your heart for the people around you that they first be in right relationship with God? Is that desire for you greater than your desire that their actions be right? Well, as we read this, uh, if you've got a Bible, I want you to open uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you that the Bible is life-giving, and today we invite you to shape our lives by it. Oh God, we pray that the truth that we read, that by your Holy Spirit, you would just impress upon our hearts the things that we need to hear. God, may our ears be open to what it is you want to say to us and how it is, God, you want us to act in light of what we read today. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Here in modern day Maryland, you and I live in a culture that values knowledge, but also a culture that in many ways has lost the ability to discern knowledge from wisdom. I was born in 1993, which means I fall into the millennial cohort. Um, the millennial generation encompasses anyone born between 1981 and 1996. And we are considered the most educated generation in history. Barna Group would describe millennials as the first generation 
taught to question everything. This is largely from the development of the internet and with that came unlimited access to information and students like me were taught don't just use one source, cross-reference all of your information. One teacher can't know everything. Your mum and dad are great but they don't have the answers for everything. We were taught to seek out information and a byproduct of this is a generation that questions everything. A generation that places an incredibly high value on knowledge and more often than not confuses knowledge for wisdom. A generation that sadly we've also seen a decline in those professing to follow Jesus. Ironically, millennials are a generation that are more open to religion than most generations before them, with 91% of millennials stating, having people of many different faiths makes Australia a better place to live. 85% of teenagers, that's Generation Z, have a positive attitude towards Christians, yet we are seeing a decline in those following Jesus. We have more access to knowledge than ever before, but this knowledge has sadly resulted in a generation that is seemingly pushing Christ further away than ever before. And Paul sort of speaks into this 2,000 years ago. In verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul was well aware that it was through Christ, through the saving power of Christ, that people were saved. That those who were once spiritually dead found life. And Paul had a few runs on the board when it came to sharing the gospel. Uh, he, he could have pretty easily articulated or attempted to articulate the power of Christ. But even way back then, before the internet existed, Paul knew that knowledge was not the answer. That knowledge shouldn't be the basis for our belief in Jesus, but by the power of God. Now, as I say this, please don't think that I'm discrediting the importance of understanding what you believe. And I don't think for a second Paul was either. There's not too many things that I find more frustrating than followers of Jesus responding with, well, it's in the Bible somewhere, without actually being able to articulate the where and the why in the context of that. Understanding is important. But as AJ said uh, last week, a great little phrase, there comes a point where we need to bridge our knowledge with faith. You can endeavor to understand all that you want, but there comes a point where you either stop moving forwards because you don't understand, or you choose to bridge that gap, to make that leap with faith. Because you and I weren't designed to know everything, nor were we designed to figure it all out. God is mysterious, and he is always going to remain a mystery to an extent. So Paul says, I'm not going to try and convince you of him. 
I'm not gonna use fancy words and eloquent speech. Instead, I am going to show you him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you will experience God at work. And once you've had that encounter with the creator of the universe, well, then you can choose to try and figure it all out if you want. As we read on in verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. In essence, Paul is saying here, hey, the message of the cross, the message of the Messiah who was killed, who three days later rose again, so that you and I may find forgiveness. He wants you. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to pour out his grace upon you and for most people this is going to sound crazy and I'm not going to be able to convince them to think otherwise but for those of you who have ears to hear this listen listen up as God reveals himself to you see for the Greeks the idea of a God that allowed himself to be killed who handed himself over to those persecuting him was laughable For Paul, the message of the resurrection, the message of Jesus coming out of the grave, that was powerful. And maybe using it as a hook had the potential to gain a few more followers. But no, Paul doesn't do that. We read in chapter 1, Paul talk about the Christ who died on a cross. The Christ who was brutally beaten, who was humiliated and left to die. Paul doesn't hide that part of the story. And back when Paul was writing this, death by crucifixion wasn't your typical dinner conversation topic. In fact, it was considered so horrible, so degrading that in polite society, you didn't really talk about it. But Paul does. Paul speaks of the crucifixion because he knows it's the linchpin of the Christian faith. The belief in a God that laid down his life for those he loved may not have been popular, may not have gained interest and followers, but Paul didn't care if they've got the ears to hear and hearts open to God, they'll get it. I wonder if, like me, you've fallen into the trap of, at times, resting on knowledge over the power of Christ. Maybe you've tried using eloquent speech or sound reasoning. Maybe you've shied away from sharing the death and the resurrection of Christ with a culture who largely considers it a fairy tale. Maybe you've used the morality of the Christian faith as bait instead of the truth that we are all sinners in need of a saviour. Maybe like me, you've tried to find ways to fit Christianity neatly into our culture so that it won't be such a big ask 
for people to follow Jesus. Paul doesn't. Paul in no way changes or waters down the message of the gospel. Instead, he shares what he knows to be true of Christ, even if the culture around him considered it foolishness. Um, I've had the privilege of spending um, a fair bit of time with one of our local partners and good friends, Steve Blake, and over the years have seen God work in ways that I am still unable to explain. Verse 4, Paul would say, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I have seen wheelchair-bound people get up and walk. I've seen deaf people here for the first time in their life. I've had the opportunity of praying for people and their sight return. I have felt tumours disappear under my hand. I am not able to explain these things. I don't have the knowledge or the eloquence of speech to convince you of these events. But I experienced it. And there is no argument that you could make that changes my experience. And this is what Paul means, that not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And now if I'm being honest with you, alongside of these incredible acts of God's power, I have seen others, not Steve, thankfully, but I have seen people endeavour to manipulate others. I've seen attempts to fake healings. I've heard people say incredibly damaging things like, well, you mustn't have had enough faith. Sadly, this is what can happen when God, by His grace, chooses to work through ordinary, sinful, selfish people like you and I. And if you've been hurt or experienced something like this, I pray that it doesn't stand in the way of you stepping out and desiring an encounter with the Holy Spirit, longing for an experience, a glimpse of the power of God. Um, some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Ravi Zachariah. He was quite a well-known uh, apologist who sadly died last year. Um, but on an even more devastating note, this past week, after quite an extensive investigation, Ravi was found guilty on multiple counts of sexual abuse. Um, I've got an old friend who I chat with quite a bit around matters of faith. He's still not quite over the line, but we engage in some great, great conversation around it. And this week, um, somehow, came across the news of Ravi and sent me through a report with just a little message that said, didn't this guy follow the same Jesus you do? And he, he wasn't being malicious at all in that. He's quite open. But this curiosity of, of holding intention, hang on a minute, Isaac and this Ravi guy both both profess to follow the same Jesus. And it made my heart sink. And sadly, there have been a string of highly publicised moral failings for a number of high-profile Christian leaders of late. And just maybe there has been more importance put on knowing about Christ than knowing Christ. 
maybe more of a focus on looking the part rather than eyeballing the own sin, our own sin. A focus on spiritually feeding others before we feed ourselves. Now, I don't know a lot about much, but I do know that it is a long road ahead following Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. I know that it's really easy to get swallowed up in a culture that values knowledge, and it is difficult in that culture to stand and declare the power of a miracle-working God. I know that it hurts to see those following Jesus have significant public failings and still stand declaring that you believe in the same God that they do. Maybe this morning you are yet to experience the power of God at work in your life. Well, as Paul did today, I am not going to try and convince you of your need for God. But rather, I urge you to come before him, longing to experience just a glimpse of his glory. Longing to experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. To experience the Holy Spirit coming upon you and transforming your life. I urge you to allow that to be ground zero when it comes to understanding God. A willingness to step out and say, culture doesn't get this. I can't understand this, but God, may I experience your power. Um, as we wrap up today, I want to read you a snippet from a message that John Piper shared in uh, way back in 1980. Um, he says this, Watch out for slick preachers. But I, th I think this message here, uh, is for far more than just preachers. So I want us to reread that. As this, watch out for slick Christians for whom the cross is a mere token symbol, for whom the exceeding sinfulness of all of our hearts is scarcely mentioned, who use power, who use wisdom or fame and luxury to beckon the self-centered middle class to consider themselves Christian at no cost to their pride and self-sufficiency. There are peddlers of the gospel who seem to have forgotten that at the heart of our faith is an old, rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame, and that to trust Christ crucified is to be identified with him in the humiliation of his death. And that only in the age to come will we be glorified with him. And that while this age lasts, we will walk the Calvary road. Oh, to be sure, not without joy, indescribable joy and full of the hope of glory, but always joy in weakness, in insults, hardships, persecution and calamities. And finishes with this verse in chapter 1, 18 of 1 Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, Father, we thank you for the power of God. We thank you for the gift of 
your spirit. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to have our eyes opened to the things of heaven. God, we apologize for the times that we have valued understanding more so than we have valued pursuing you. God, we invite you to today meet us. God, to give us a glimpse of your power, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would base our understanding of you. God, that that would be a platform for us pursuing you. God, we think, thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of your spirit. Amen.